My name is Cheryl Wagman, and you're listening to the Mountain Movers Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. This week's conversation was extremely special to me. I chatted with Shale Wagman, a professional ballet dancer who has inspired many around the world, including myself. Shale was actually the reason I decided to pursue dance way back when I wasn't even sure if it was what I wanted to do. At the time, it was football or dance. That was the choice, and I saw a video of him dancing online, and it was in that moment that I knew dance was for me. We chat about his journey through dance, the unfortunate reality that our injuries, a few mantras that Shale holds near and dear, and of course, the mountain minute. So with that being said, let's get to it. Let's move some mountains in three, two... This is the Mountain Movers Podcast, a platform for you, the ones with a voice to be heard, but no microphone to speak it. This is your time, your chance to become more than they believe you are, more than you believe you are. So let's do this together. Shale, it's been a while. How are you doing? I've been doing great. How about you? I'm I'm great. Um, and I always go back to I always say that I'm doing as well as anybody could be doing in this situation. It's scary and it's very uncertain, but it's about finding those things to hold on to, like this podcast, like training in, in any way you train, depending on the person. Um, finding mm-hmm. finding those constants so that you're always um, finding a way to stay productive because it, it, it is hard when you don't have a routine, when you don't have something to hold on to, you kind of, you fall into, into something. Yes, absolutely. It's great to stay busy and it sounds like you're doing all the right things in these circumstances. <laughs> yeah, I guess I've been trying to keep sort of a schedule or structure in my day, but it's very difficult. And I think I've gotten used to this type of structure because I've been injured for a while so there have been many months where I couldn't really leave the house because it wasn't good to walk on my foot etc so it's actually quite calming to be in this situation even though it's a horrible circumstance and you know I don't want anyone to be sick or die god forbid but I think it's a very beneficial time to reflect and it's also great a great time for our environment to replenish itself and I think us humans uh take advantage of the environment sometimes and it's a great moment for the world to heal yes of course healing can be a very long journey which we will get to but to kick things off let's tell the listeners about you who are you shale and what do you do well i'm an elementary school dropout (laughs) no i'm kidding (laughs) um (laughs) no i'm kidding um well i'm a ballet dancer i started uh dancing in pretty much all styles of dance from the age of six uh, tap, jazz, contemporary, acro, hip-hop, open, lyrical, all that. And it was such a luxury to do that at such a young age, especially with uh, Vlad, who was my dance teacher, my first dance teacher. He was a very strict, big Russian man, and he was quite intimidating. And for a six-year-old, it was a lot to handle, <laughs> Uh, just starting dance, but I, I remember my mom, she was trying to get me into a, an after-school activity, so she would take me to swimming lessons and soccer, basketball, hockey, and I didn't really enjoy any of them, and I was quite shy as a kid. But by the time I was introduced to dance, I went to the audition very shy, and Vlad just said, show me what you can do. So 
I did some cartwheel splits. I I always loved movement. I was very intrigued with movement. We would go to Canada's Wonderland, and I'd be fixated on the fountains and how they how the water flows through the park and how the roller coasters the architecture of the roller coasters and how they move. I always loved that. So I guess dancing was a portal to express my uh, love for movement. And I was always moving around as a child. So then by the time I got to Vlad's, I started showing him what I could do. And he told my mom, I didn't understand anything that was going on because I was six. He said to my mother, she tells me now, he moves like that. <laughs> and my mom said, you know, I have three boys because I have two other brothers. And, you know, the studio is a little bit far from the house. So can we put him in recreational, maybe doing one or two classes a week or like two, three times a week going to the studio? And he said, no, no, no. He's in competitive right away. <laughs> So I just dived into it. Uh, I took my first class at the studio, and I immediately was fixated and in love with dance. I didn't know, I wasn't thinking about what I can make of it as a career later on because I was six, but I knew that it was my calling, and I had to do it for the rest of my life mm-hmm. from from pretty much the first class. So, and then the love just grew. And uh, then Vlad, he really gave me every opportunity to grow as an artist and as a dancer, technically. He would push me into doing the main parts in dances, and he would give me solos, a lot of them, and I would be able to work one-on-one with him. And uh, each year, the hours at the studio would progress, and I would be there more than I would be at home or school. So I, I yeah, I was uh, completely immersed in dance no, for sure. uh, from a very young age. And then Vlad also had this uh, contemporary company called Bridge to Artists where he would sort of merge professionals with uh, younger students so that the students could experience what it is to work like in a company or to be in that type of atmosphere. And we would do full-length works. He would put me as the main part when I was nine. And that was, I, I don't know, we've always just had a really great understanding of each other, Vlad and I. And he really brought out my inner emotions, my depth. And um, I really thank him for kickstarting whatever was or is my dance career today. <laughs> So, yeah. (laughs) Well, from that point on, so you're young, you're six, seven, eight, nine years old, and uh, Vlad pushed you to be this this young kid, like dancer, and um, what pushed you to keep going? Like, what what happened to you in the next next few years that made you realize that, you know what, this isn't just something I'm going to do for a few few years. This is something that I know I'm going to do for the rest of my life. What, What were the next few years like? I think I I never even questioned it. From the beginning, I always had this laser focus, and I was so determined that this was what I would be doing uh, with my life. And that was from the age of six. And each year, my love grew bigger and bigger. And by the time I was nine, I knew that this was the career I wanted to go into. By the time I was 12, uh, after I did... Canada's Got Talent. I did Canada's Got Talent when I was 11. And on that show, I had a great time, and I I got some exposure to uh, the world other than the dance world or the competition world. And it was a, an amazing experience, and I got to see many other art forms like opera and music and athletes that were crazy. And it was just very inspiring to be amongst those people. Uh, but I did realize because after that, I, I I was 
acting a bit and I went to some auditions because I had some opportunities after Canada's Got Talent and uh, we tried to go on the triple threat route because what I saw from my studio, which is still great, was that people doing competitive dance would go to a dance program in a university or they would maybe go and be a backup dancer for a famous celebrity, which is great. And I really admire those people, but, uh, or they would stop, but that's not something that I really saw for myself. And so we tried the triple threat route to go into singing, acting, dancing. But then as I was going into that world, I felt like I was losing my meaning of dance and that dancing was sort of the last priority. So I, my mom uh, was encouraging me to watch this movie called First Position, which is basically a documentary about um, some students going to this competition called Youth America Grand Prix, which is a ballet competition, which are very big, and the finals are in New York, but people that go there are from everywhere. And basically, if you win something, you get scholarships around the world to train in the top ballet schools. So I watched the documentary, and I fell in love. I didn't even really know about the ballet world, because in competitive dance, you train in ballet, but it's not really ballet, and it's not really what yeah ballet is about it's more to be like oh yeah ballet is the base of every dance form and that's why you do it but honestly for me I used my jazz technique to do ballet class when I was dancing (laughs) at Vlad's so I, I feel like I didn't even do ballet before I was 13 because it's completely different I really knew nothing about what turnout was and how to use my muscles and uh, sculpt my body in a way that is aesthetically correct for this art form. So when I watched this documentary, I was completely fixated and entranced. And my mom, she really was the person to uh, guide me to move to the ballet world. Because in ballet, there's a career where the dancer is at the forefront. And it can also be quite glamorous, which is, of course, it's very, it's a very hard career. But it can, the ballet world, it can be quite glamorous. So I was very uh, interested in that, and um, yeah, it, it just wasn't the. I knew that I didn't want to go and be a backup dancer. I knew that so you thinking dance wasn't an end goal for me anymore, and Juilliard wasn't where I really wanted to be because I I just, I found out so much more about our art form. Then I trained with my teacher for a few months and six months later, I went to this competition that I saw in the documentary, Youth America Grand Prix, and I won. And then I, I went to New York and I got several scholarships to train abroad. And that was the first time I was really introduced to high, high quality ballet dancers live. Um, and of course, when I started ballet, I watched every single video. Uh, my teacher would give me videos from the Bolshoi, from Mariinsky, from Paris Opera Royal Ballet, and then I would look on YouTube for hours. I mean, I'm a freak. I'm a, I'm a complete ballet freak. So, and dance freak. So I would just study it for, and, and I also just enjoy watching it. Um, and I learned a lot from watching. And by the time I got to New York. Uh, the final round of the competition was at the Lincoln Center and it was a huge stage, huge audience and I remember I wasn't even warm, I just ran out onto the stage I ate the stage and it was one of the best feelings in the world uh, and, I, and I was always um, very interested in the architecture of opera houses and big theaters um, and the Lincoln Center is so iconic. So I was very, very content. <laughs> Even if I did bad, in the, I could have done much better, of course, but uh, it was a, an incredible experience. Have you, have you performed somewhere and felt uh, the 
huge energy of the theater or even a little theater or uh, anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, a few years ago, I took a trip with this uh, nonprofit organization called Juntos, Juntos Collective. Um, they're based in uh, San Francisco, but they what they do is they partner with, um, they team up with uh, university dance students um, in mm-hmm. the States and I was an exception uh, in Canada at the time, um, but we went uh, abroad to Guatemala and uh, we perfor- taught and performed for these underserved communities. So HIV centers, wow. um, children's hospitals, refugee sites, and we were dancing in, in the smallest spaces, tiled floors, concrete uh, gymnasiums, um, even like just small little gardens and and just, it wasn't for many people. It was for a dozen, maybe two dozen um kids or 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 elderly people and it was probably i will hold on to those moments for the rest of my life that's really awesome the feeling and uh, the energy of dance that you give to those people they must have been so happy oh absolutely it's 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 unlike any other because you can almost put yourself in their shoes when you (laughs) first started dancing before you before you even um before you even immersed yourself completely into the art form there was a time where you saw your first piece of movement or maybe it was even the roller coaster for you and you and you knew right then and there that that was something special Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. absolutely so after your success in the youth america grand prix what were the next steps for you so i really since my ballet teacher uh completed her training and graduated at the bolshoi ballet school in moscow and danced in soviet union uh, she, I, I was always very interested in Russia. Um, I loved Russian ballet and the fire in their eyes when they dance on stage. Most of my videos were of the Bolshoi or the Mariinsky ballet um, in Russia. And I, I admired their dancers and the institutions so much. So when I went to this competition in New York, I got a scholarship to the Bolshoi School in Moscow, and I really, really wanted to go there badly. But I also got a scholarship to train in Monte Carlo, in Houston, in the Herod Conservatory in Florida, in New York, many places. And I had a wide selection, and I was very lucky uh, that I could choose. So it was very difficult to make the decision of where to go, but I really wanted to go to Bolshoi school. So I went to their summer program. I went to, I chose my two favorites and I went to the summer program of the Bolshoi school and the summer program of, um, of Academy Pulse's class in Monte Carlo. So it was hard for me because I felt like no one could understand me, uh, in my community and especially at school. You know, I I wasn't really surrounded by anyone else. I was pretty much taking private lessons with my Russian teacher at the time. And I also felt the need to leave home and explore. So uh, when I went to the school in Monaco, it was so beautiful. It's on the French Riviera, and it's on the port, the main port of Monaco, like beautiful teal water and it's it's breathtaking and the school the students are incredible um and the director was very keen on taking me and i guess i based i made the decision because first of all my parents didn't want to send me to russia when i was that young uh, especially because of the relations um, of the us and russia at the time after a lot of thought we decided that that was the right decision, and I was glad because I wanted to go to Europe nevertheless. And yeah, when I was 14, I packed my bags and I moved to Monaco. And I'm sure that was an experience like no other. And I mean, four years later, or was it was it a four year? Yes, four year program. And so, what was it like starting this brand new chapter in your life? In Monaco, we had the luxury of learning from you know all the pe- teachers were principal dancers or soloists with uh, major ballet companies in Europe. And the school, the the students there are so inspiring and talented. And there are only about 40 students, so, uh, and about 20 nationalities. So everyone was from a different part of the world. 
And you really learn so much from that and speaking to people from different countries and getting to know their cultures, languages. I, you know, I didn't want to stay in my comfortable bubble and uh, speak only English for the rest of my life and not learn anything. So it was great to be there. I learned how to speak French when I was there. And, you know, I know, you know like some Italian sayings and a little bit of Russian. And so it was so nice. And also I made some of my best friends there because we all related on such a deep level about our art form, but also about how hard the school was because it was a very, very difficult program and very strict uh, but we all related because of that, and I have made lifelong friends because of um, that school. Yeah, those walls have uh, some magic in them. And so out of that school, where did you find yourself? So in my last year of training, I was actually going through a really hard time uh, in my third year, so when I was 16, 17, 16, and my dad actually came, because my parents, my dad never really came to Monaco other than uh, when I was there for my first summer, uh, back when I was, I think, 13 or 14. And he came uh, when I was 16 because I was going through a really hard moment at the school. It was very strict. We were having, there were a lot of rules, but... um, the school could be quite intense and uh, there was a lot of pressure and I felt the pressure getting to me. So my dad stayed in a hotel there and I stayed with my dad for a week and it was the best thing because I was able to breathe. I felt a little bit choked inside of the school at that point. And because you have to be perfect at every moment, you know, this, the boarding house is the same building as the ballet studios. You're in the same building all the time. And, there's this pressure to be perfect in your personal life. Well, you don't really have a personal life, but, you know, your bed has to be made a certain way. Uh, You'll get in trouble if the shower mat isn't uh, placed horizontally on the shower. You know, if it's vertical, like, you'll get told off uh, badly. Things like that, little things like that. So every little thing, all those meticulous ideas and rules really weighed on me because and also the the whole atmosphere at that point because uh, sometimes our director is um, psychologically very smart and I think he wants to prepare us for future collisions let's say in the dance world so he really challenges us mentally and that goes into our life uh, downstairs in the dorms because we have these um maîtresses, like house mothers, and they watch everything we do, and it's quite intense. So at that point, I was sort of done. (laughs) Uh, But then in my last year, so a few months later, my director uh, wanted to take me to this competition called Prix de Lausanne in Switzerland. And that competition is the biggest ballet competition in the world I, I, I think and if you win a scholarship there, there's eight scholarships um, from eighth place to first place and it's a week long process so um, basically all of the ballet world will see you there because it's broadcasted on a lot of media platforms and a huge audience watches it, it's on TV in Europe and all of the ballet companies and school directors go to that competition to scout for talent. So it was a lot of pressure to have that representation on my shoulders because to be chosen to represent the school um, means that you're representing all of that uh, beauty and all of those incredible students. So I went to the competition and basically if you win the first prize you have first choice in choosing um on their list of companies and they have i think more than 50 companies worldwide on their list to choose from and you can go to any of them (laughs) if you win so i chose to go to london 
and because I, I won first prize. Uh, and that was a, a, that was an experience. It was one of the best moments of my dance career. And so you chose London, and what was the company called? English National Ballet. And what was your role within that ballet? So there's different rankings in a ballet company. Let's just say the lowest is apprentice, and then you have your corps de ballet, which is basically dancing in a group, and then you have your soloists, and then you have the principals. So the principals are basically the people who do the main role in the ballet. And of course, it depends on casting, but normally the principal is the person who does the main role, soloists do the solo stuff, and corps de ballet does group. So normally you start as an apprentice and you're testing the waters in the company. Maybe you get put into some core stuff. Uh, but they, they took me as corps de ballet right away. And I chose to go there because I thought that there would be many opportunities for me to grow within the company. And their repertoire was great. They had a lot of classics, a lot of uh, neoclassical, contemporary. They had a plethora of, of work. And also, the I, I really wanted to go to London as well, but... I was really I was looking for a company that would want to push me um, as far as my talent could take me. So I went there uh, in the summer of 2018. And you've been there ever since. Actually, no, I left. <laughs> so I was there. I got some um, good opportunities to dance soloist roles, and. I loved living in London. It's a city full of diversity and lots of culture. So I, I got a lot of inspiration there, but it it wasn't the company for me. And I, in my intuition, I didn't feel like it was the right place. And like I would be able to, like the company was going to push me to um, the lengths that I could go. Um, even though they gave me a lot of opportunities and, and a lot of the choreographers who came in, um, pushed me to do things but in the end I, I just uh, I decided that it wasn't uh, the best uh, fit for me so later on in the year I got invited to uh, dance as a guest artist with the Mariinsky Ballet which was one of my dreams I have always wanted to go um, dance in Russia and I was still dancing with uh, English National when I got invited, and I, I went there to debut in my first full-length principal role. Oh, my God. And what was your reaction? I was shocked because at first I got a call from the director. I, I, I did a gala performance in Russia um, in April, and I was there for a few days, and, and I got an invitation to take class with the company. So just before my flight, I took class with the Mariinsky and I had like three hours of sleep the night before because I was performing and I went to take class. I felt horrible. It was a rake, a raked studio, which is, um, the floor is tilted in some old theaters. The floor is tilted because the audience used to be pretty much flat and people couldn't see unless this stage was uh, tilted. So some old theaters are built like that. And I was so off balance and I felt like a fool because I felt like I was embarrassing myself. But then the director came in to watch me and he offered me contact to the company. Um, but he told me since, the, well, the dancers there are very, very tall. You know, average height of a male dancer there is like 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, I'm 5'10". So also the women there are very, very tall. So he said, I really would love for you to join my company, but I don't know who I can put you with, you know, which women you can dance with, blah, blah, blah. And so at that time I was like, okay, no, maybe it's not the right fit. Maybe I shouldn't go there. And... Then three weeks later, I received an email from the director, Yuri Fatiev, and he invited me to dance a principal role 
uh, in July. And at the beginning, when I received the email, I thought it was because he said, I want to invite you to dance La Sylphide. And I thought maybe it would be a secondary role or it would be a little solo role. And so I asked him, I said, I replied to the email, I said, oh, you, uh, Dear Mr. Fatiev, what role would you like me to do? And he said, The main role, James. And I was shocked because I've never seen someone who's a corps de ballet member of another company get invited to do a principal role with the Mariinsky as a teenager. And I just didn't even think that was possible. So I was completely flabbergasted. And I started, well, actually, I only had a few, two weeks to prepare. I went to Russia for 13 days. And that was the amount of time I had to learn the whole ballet and to perfect it and work with my coach there. But in, in Russia, they have, they have a, an incredible system. They have amazing coaches who have, that company just has so much history. And my coach was Vladimir Kim, who coaches this dancer named Kim and Kim, who's one of the most famous principal dancers in the world. And I was so honored to work with him. And my other coach was Gabriela Komleva, who was Bereshnikov's partner when he was dancing with the theater, with Mariinsky. So I was in heaven, and every single detail was looked at. Every single eyelash, fingernail was paid attention to, and I love that type of work. I love the the process of making something. It takes a village. Each step takes a village. Well, it's no secret, Shell, that you've had quite the journey through dance from six years old to now 20. But were there moments along this journey that weren't as glamorous as you had hoped for? I mean, if we looked at it from a mountain mover's perspective, did it ever seem like the mountain was just too tall to climb? I never had the thought of quitting, and I never had the thought of, uh, of dance being out of my life. Because dance saves me from absolutely everything. If I have personal issues, if I have relationships that don't work, friendships, uh, loved ones something happens or if I have uh, yeah issues within myself I always rely on dance to pick me up and teach me about my life as well uh, it makes me feel better it's my calling it's what I live for and I have so much passion for this art form and it's everything to me so I never had one thought of quitting but there have been moments that have tested me, that have tested my strength and willpower to move forward. But, yeah, never thought of quitting. Speaking of the Mariinsky, when I was there, it was a very stressful situation because I had a little injury back in London in my ankle, so it was very hard for me to point my foot. And I was dancing with that for a few months because I... I didn't want to stop my first year, and also I don't think I got the correct medical attention. But then I, when, by the time I was in Russia, I got a cortisone injection into that ankle before I went there so that I could dance. And, you know, in Russia, their, their feet are incredible, like most of the dancers. So I wasn't going to have biscuits and dance there. So... By the time I got there, I was given exercises by my physio in London, and they told me to strengthen my lower leg so that I don't have the injury coming back after the cortisone wears off. So I did like these rises every day. I strengthened my, my lower leg, but I had this pain in my bunion, and I thought it was just my bunion. But... After a few days in Russia, I was walking because the theater is huge. They actually have two theaters, um, which are connected by a bridge. They have one theater, which is very, very modern, and the uh, original theater, which is uh, the most beautiful theater ever, <laughs> full of history, where Nuriyev, Baryshnikov, Tamara Kasavina, Anna Pavlova have started their careers. And... Anyway, I was watching, walking on the bridge, and 
I felt something in my toe and I was like, what's this? Like, what, what's happening? And I, I started limping because I really couldn't walk on my toe. And I was walking to my rehearsal with my coach of, uh, we were preparing my, my two solos in the first act. And then I walk into the studio and the director is in the front waiting for me for the rehearsal. So he surprised me with a rehearsal. Of course, I wasn't going to tell him. I, I had pain. I was going to tell my coach, okay, maybe let's go easy today. But by the time the director was there, I it was no question for me to say anything. I wasn't going to say anything. I was going to keep going, dancing, because <laughs> if the director of the Marinsky Ballet, who has two tours going on right now, like Two parts of his company are on tour, and some people were in Russia, and he has, like, hundreds of dancers, and he is focused on me and giving me an individual rehearsal. I'm not going to deny that. So I just started dancing, and while I was dancing, I thought to myself, okay, yeah, it's okay. I, I don't have pain when I jump. I only have pain when I go on releve and when I walk. <laughs> and so I I kept going and going because there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to be doing this performance. It meant so much to me, and I knew that it would be really good for my career, and this is what I wanted for so long. So I focused on that um, the day I couldn't walk, and I was just trying to take care of my foot. I went to see, like, five different doctors that day, and my Russian teacher actually came uh, and my mom came as well, my Russian teacher from Canada, Tatiana. And she, thank God she was there because she was able to translate everything uh, that the, doc the doctors were saying. And now she tells me uh, that the doctors were saying that I shouldn't dance and that I can't dance. And she said, no, I'm not going to translate this because uh, I know you're going to dance. <laughs> so I, I didn't ever translate this because, you know, there was no choice. So <laughs> I the, the next day, I just did a little bit of uh, bar without any releve or jumping or anything, I could hardly stand on my foot. And my toe was completely swollen and red. And I was going to all the doctors that day, and my performance was in the evening, so I was spending the whole day trying to figure out some healing remedies. But my partner was... I forgot to mention, my partner was is one of the most famous ballerinas in Russia. Her name is Olesya Novikova. And I was watching her because I download all of these ballet videos and dance videos onto my iPad. Like, I have this app that I download everything. And I would watch her and her husband for hours, hours when I was younger. And she is one of my favorites. She has been one of my favorites for a while. So when I found out I was dancing with her, I was so shocked and excited. It was such an honor to dance with her. But so anyway, she has done this ballet so many times. She was completely calm Everyone was so calm there because in Marinsky they perform like every night. They, you know, they have sometimes they've even two performances going on in one evening because they have two theaters. So all of the dancers are so used to being on stage and they're not nervous at all. So I wasn't nervous, even though the circumstances were crazy. I was so calm. I was really at peace. I said, "Yeah, this is going to be great." And then the curtain rised, and I knew I knew that it was going to be okay. And it turned out being a performance that I'll never forget. One of my, it was probably my favorite performance ever on stage. And uh, in the end, she, uh, my partner dies, and I was, uh, I don't know, the energy I got from the opera house. I, I don't know. I, I feel this energy in certain opera houses and I felt the entire history. I, in the first time I walked into that theater, I, I started tearing up, no joke. And so being able to dance on that stage and feeling the audience, you can feel when the audience is right there with you. And I felt that I, I felt the entire theater was a family even though there's thousands of people in the audience, I felt like we were all uh, part of this bigger understanding, which is dance. 
So in the end, I'm crying like on stage, and I'm t- fully like sweating, of course, but I'm like fully crying and tearing up, and it was such a raw moment and something I'll never forget. Uh, I, even when I was crying, I just felt the the satisfaction of uh, being able to completely pour myself out into a role. I guess I, I you know, it, this ballet tells you that you're chasing something that you can never have, and I feel like that really relates to our lives as people. We're always chasing for something that we're never going to get or achieve, but it's always this journey, this path and route we're trying to find. Um, And I feel like ballet is the best way to have a deep understanding of humanity because you're expressing something deeper than words. Like in my personal life, I can't, express myself uh, verbally as much as I can express myself uh, in dance because there's so many things you can hide behind. Words are so manipulative in ways and people can manipulate you and I feel like dancing is so pure and you can't really manipulate the dance. You have to be your true self and uh, be the true character on stage. There's really no hiding behind anything. You're only exposing yourself, which is why I think it's such a special art form. But anyway, I found out that I had a stress fracture when I came back to Canada because I, I went back to London after I was in Russia and I packed all my stuff uh, because I resigned from the company and I was about to go somewhere else. And... Yeah, then I found out I had my stress fracture, and I was completely, completely depressed when I first found out, because I knew that I would have to stop for months, and it was a very important time for me. The timing couldn't have been worse. I I was destroyed. <laughs> destroyed. Have you, have, any, have you ever had any injuries that have been difficult to get through or tested your willpower absolutely uh my second year of dance at ryerson um my lower back i injured my lower back and it literally left me um, like i i could barely sit for long periods of time i couldn't i could barely walk it was it was really difficult and it's i still think back to it and i wonder like people deal with like crazy crazy injuries that obviously leave them um without like doing doing without what they love like they don't get mm-hmm. to experience dance as as full as they used to or they don't get to um do the sport that they love so much and it really puts things into perspective it challenges you and it makes you think how how determined am i to get back to where i was and to go even further mm-hmm. yeah and so uh i was in a gram class and uh, we were doing floor work and, um, I decided, uh, I was tired of sitting out and I pulled up a chair and I did it sitting on the chair and I just worked on my arms. And it's just about those little, those little pieces that always fit together and they, wow. over time, they make you better and that's how you heal. And so I guess I can relate to you, you know, you didn't get the perfect medical attention right away, uh, which might've thrown you off a bit. But um, yeah, it ended up, I just, I needed to pressure in my back and it wasn't going to happen overnight. That was something that I, I needed to do over the course of several weeks and it turned into a couple months and um, yeah, and now I, I am better. I can sit for long periods of time again and I can dance um, fully again. And that's, that's very special. I'm so glad to hear that. It's so great to hear when you have something that is so hard to get through and you're able to prevail and get through it. I'm so happy to hear that you're fully dancing. How long ago was Thank that? Thank you. Um, so this was two years ago now. And um, I think that was, well, that was the first major injury that I'd ever come into contact with. And so, um, like I said before, it really puts things into perspective. We're not invincible, no matter how, how much we want to think we are. Um, and our bodies are, are something that we really have to look after. Mm-hmm. Yes, completely. I actually also had a back injury when I was 15, a very serious one. I got a stress fracture in my lumbar spine, 
in my vertebra. What was in my, uh, what was good about it was that I did it in school and I was young and that was part of my education because I feel like injuries are a huge part of one's education as a dancer and if you're doing anything physical in your life. Uh, and I really learned how to use my body, how to control certain things that I was doing, my flexibility, and I analyzed my body in a completely different way. Um, so I, I came home, I came back to Canada, and I worked with physios and doctors and Pilates coaches, and I really found that Pilates helped me control and stabilize my body and spine. I was able to find a new way of moving uh, in order to dance healthier. So that taught me a lot. Uh, so that's why I was so upset when I found out I had a distress fracture in my foot because I had already been injured in school for months. I was injured for months. And the timing was just so bad, and I didn't want to stop dancing at that point. But I had to. I had to stop dancing, and I didn't realize why I was injured. I was wondering, well, why am I injured? Why is this happening now? There's no reason. What am I going to learn from this? Like, I feel like there's nothing that I am learning. So that's why I was super down for a while, for a month or two. And also being back at home in, in Canada, I... I loved living, I loved my independence, I loved living by myself, and I love my family, uh, I, and I love coming back to see them, but I've been living on my own for five years, and to have your independence stripped away from you, and to live at your childhood home, sort of feels like you're a l less than, in a way, because you're back to your childhood, and you know, it's nice at first to be with your family, but after a while, you feel like, a, yeah, a child. You feel, uh, exactly, uh, and that's exactly how I felt rehabbing at home. How was the rehab? Um, you said that you, you learned a lot about yourself. Uh, I think I just want to know, what, what was it that you learned? I learned nothing. I'm still an angry person. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I... I, well, I started playing a little bit of piano because I wanted to explore other art forms, and I've always been so fascinated by uh, classical music, especially concert pianists, and I can only imagine the feeling that they have when they play and they uh, produce that type of sound. So I've always loved classical music, and I've wanted to play the piano for the longest time, and I always was like, yeah, well, I don't have time. So now I have time. And I took some piano lessons, uh, which I really enjoy. So I, I was able to take my mind off of uh, my depression and focus it on uh, benefiting myself in other ways. I also gained a lot of perspective. Uh, yeah, and I learned a lot about myself in terms of being alone because a lot of uh, the people I knew in Canada, like most of my friends are in Europe now because I grew up, I had all my teenager years there basically. And I kept in contact with a few people in Toronto, but all of them were at university anyway. So I didn't really have any friends uh, here while I was going through my injuries. So there wasn't much for me to do when I was in my boot, you know, uh, because it wasn't like I could rehab. It wasn't like I could work on other things. I was ordered to just fully rest for weeks. And the time kept getting pushed back and pushed back and I, it lengthened. And I didn't understand because normally this type of fracture takes a total of three months to like be fully back athletically. But it was taking three months to feel okay to just walk in my case. So it was really hard to deal with. Uh, and I guess I really learned that I love being alone uh, for certain periods of time. 
I really felt okay with being by myself. I love the feeling of uh, silence from within and exploring oneself completely without distractions of other people. So I love people, of course. I, I love friends. I love, I love communication. But I, I never realized how beneficial it could be to just completely focus on myself, be alone, uh, figure out how to do certain things. I, that's quite general. I don't know. It, it was just a personal discovery. I, I, I just discovered myself in a different way that I, I never had time to really analyze before because I was com completely busy uh, when I was in Europe and never took the time to take a breath and reflect and analyze what I've done in the past and what I want to do with my future, uh, where I would like to be, what I'm looking for exactly in my next company, and how I would like my career to go. Of course, I can't predict everything but for my future, but I, I have set very clear goals of uh, exactly what I want and how I want things to go. So do you have any um, advice for the people listening about uh, maybe if they um, feel like, you know, their injury is the end of the world, or if they think that maybe they're in the middle of doing something that, you know, doesn't totally align with who they want to be? Uh, my advice would always be to do what you love. Because when you love something and you completely push yourself into that, you will spend all of your time with it. You will completely uh, dive into what you're doing with a focus and determination unlike anything else because it's what you love to do. I can only speak for myself, but I, wouldn't, I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't work at an office job that I didn't like. I couldn't work for the money. Uh, even though I, I really do, I know my worth and, you know, I hate when I hear stories about dancers not getting paid and whatnot, but, but, uh, advice, uh, always, always follow your intuition because I think society always, um, ha puts this pressure on people to do things a certain way and everyone is different. We're all individuals, and if your intuition is telling you something or if you feel something in your gut is not right or it's right, follow it. Because in the end, our bodies are telling us the correct thing because we're feeling, we feel certain things because our body responds to different environments we're in. And if you're in a, an environment which is healthy for you, your, your mind and your body to be in, your body will respond well and you'll love being there. But if you're in an environment where you're not able to grow, it's like a, a sunflower needs sun and water. A, a human being needs the right environment to grow because if a sunflower has darkness, it's not going to grow, it's going to die. So my advice is for to always follow your intuition, to do what you love, to um, completely take hold of what you want in your life because no one's going to do it for you. Keep your inner peace and your, your calmness because I think once you get worked up or you feel like you're not uh, in the right environment, that's a weakness for you. And you get strength. You get strength through uh, knowing yourself and always keeping calm and respectful. I know that there's a lot of people out there who are going to uh, resonate with that. I know I do. Have you had any experiences where you felt you weren't in the right place or um, you needed to move on from something? Yeah, I think that um, that's like a wide spectrum. Like I think that there hasn't been necessarily moments exactly where I would stop and say, okay, this is, I'm not headed in the right direction, but it's more so 
um, the more that I feel like I'm, I'm not in the right situation or I'm not in the right environment. I just, it's, it's, it's in my human nature to migrate over to the right one. Mm -hmm. And so like overall, no, there hasn't been a time where, where I'm thinking to myself or where I, where I truly realized that I was in the wrong, you know, I was headed in the wrong direction. I mean, there are, there are moments where, where it starts to creep up on you and you think, okay, maybe, you know, maybe this isn't a path for me. Maybe this isn't exactly what I want to do. And I think everybody feels that, but um, I don't know. I feel like everybody in the moment is experiencing exactly what they're meant to be experiencing in that moment. If it's a bad experience, uh, it really makes you see, it, it really makes you uh, realize what the good, what the good moments are. And so I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. And so if you are experiencing something that, say brings you darkness it's only going to open up a door where you will find your sunlight and your water oh i love that yeah yeah i agree i love that saying <laughs> so shale um at towards the end of the episode i always do what's called the mountain minute and it's that lightning fire round of questions and uh, are you ready for that sure yes this, 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 this is, is the mountain, mountain minute, minute. Three, two, one. Favorite movie? Remember. Favorite food? Italian. I don't have a favorite food, but let's just say Italian. Go to breakfast. Toast with avocado and eggs. Mm. Favorite song? Uh, right now, Rachmaninoff Piano... No, yeah, Piano Trio, number two. Where did you first hear this song? I first heard it a few weeks ago, actually. What is your Guilty Pleasure song? I don't have... Uh, song? Guilty Pleasure song? I don't really have Guilty Pleasures. <laughs> I, I'm proud of all of my pleasures, or I like all my pleasures. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I guess that's my answer. <laughs> Favorite day of the week? Every day. Least favorite day of the week? I don't have one. Favorite color? All colors. What time do you usually go to bed? <laughs> oh, well, that depends. I'm a night owl for sure. Uh, but lately, like 3 a.m. So what time do you usually wake up? <laughs> <laughs> when I don't have to do anything, like noon, but or like eleven. But when I'm when I have a schedule, like when I'm working, not in these circumstances, I go to sleep at midnight and I wake up at eight or eight thirty. Yeah. If you could make any animal your pet, what animal would you choose? Oh. Oh God. I love animals. I have a dog who I love very much, but I would say, well, I'm thinking of Tiger King right now. <laughs> I don't know why, but I wouldn't want a tiger as a pet, so that's not my answer. I know this is supposed to be a, a quick answer, but I can't. <laughs> um, uh, what animal? Oh, maybe, uh, maybe a squirrel or a chipmunk. <laughs> if you could change the stigma around one thing in the world, what would it be? Dance and classical music. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be? Ooh, uh, no one. But if I have to say, like, I like living as myself. But if I were to choose someone, could it be dead? Yeah. Rudolf Nureyev. Nice. If you could have any superpower, what would you choose? Uh, maybe to be able to teleport or no, actually to be invisible. Nice. Sweet or salty? Mm -hmm. Sweet. Coffee or tea? Tea. Rain or shine? Both. Day or night? Night. Favorite number? 19. Where do you want to travel? Asia. Fill in the blank. This podcast is? Lovely. Aw.
<laughs> I set you up. <laughs> well, thank you, Shale. Thank you so much. Oh, that's it. I was waiting for more. I, I liked it. Well, in this case, that is three and a half minute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, no, that's amazing. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. No, you too. No, seriously, I, I, I appreciate it more than you know. Um, this podcast for me has been my constant, especially throughout this whole pandemic. And um, like obviously getting the chance to reconnect and hear, hear about your story is just, it's really inspiring. Thank you so much. It was great to reconnect. Lots of love. Thank you guys once again for tuning into another episode of the Mountain Movers podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please feel free to leave a rating and a review. And remember, keep climbing. See you next Sunday. Love always, Jake.